My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips, that I may worthily and fitly proclaim the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, brothers and sisters, is the feast day for the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is celebrated across the Christian calendar in, in, in many different ways, right? In, in, certain, in Roman Catholicism, they believe that Mary uh, did not die, that she, right before she died, was uh, assumed into heaven. Uh, our Eastern Christian brothers and sisters don't quite believe that. They believe that she actually did die, that she did pass away, but that upon her death she was received into heaven, and that her body was received into heaven a few days later. Uh, we don't necessarily hold to those traditions uh, ourselves, but on the Western Christian calendar today is still an important day for us. And we even heard it uh, in our, our Reformed and Evangelical hymnal which forms the basis for much of the worship that we, that we do here at the church. And the hymn that we opened up with this morning, you watchers and the holy ones, it said, and there's, a, a, it's a, affirming the role of Mary in the economy of our salvation. It says, that thou bearer of the eternal word, most gracious, magnify the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And it's beautiful to see her still commemorated even in the rich tradition of the Reformed, the Evangelical tradition, and the tradition of our own church, even if over the years it hasn't always been expressed. In, in 2010, not too long after I made a major move from Florida to Pennsylvania to attend seminary and uh, work at a local church here in the Lehigh Valley, one Saturday afternoon, it's a little echoey here, Steve, one uh, Saturday afternoon, I was at a food festival uh, in, in Hatfield at a Coptic church. And uh, I was walking around looking for food because if anybody knows me, I'm always hungry. Um, and lots of times church festivals are a really good place to get food. And so I was looking for something to eat and I was approached by some of the members of the church. They could obviously tell I was not from around there. And so they gave me a tour uh, of the church. And right up there at the front was an, an icon, uh, a religious painting of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And inwardly, I kind of bristled at it, but I held my tongue and I asked a lot of questions. And then, maybe about two years later, maybe three, I found myself at a monastery just after Christmas. And since it was just after Christmas, there was still a whole lot of Mary being reflected on in the prayers and in the readings. And again, it made me bristle a little bit. But I kept my mouth shut and attempted to take everything in, in as it was, and not to pass judgment on anything until I can kind of process it. And I noticed a couple of things when I stopped to think about it. That one, I, maybe I bristled because I was unfamiliar with the traditions I was exploring. Uh, and the second one was my recognition of my own ignorance on a lot of Christian history and tradition. And my own feelings on, on Mary is filtered through the lens of this very uh, Baptistic, fundamentalist type theology, which very much downplayed the role of Mary. Um, 
But I started digging deeper. I started looking deeper in the scriptures and history and the great tradition of the church. And uh, over the course of a few years, that discomfort with the Blessed Virgin turned from distrust and suspicion to one of respect uh, and love. And while I may disagree with my Roman Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters on some points of belief, I think we can all agree that Mary is the mother of all Christians. And like the angel proclaimed, is both filled with grace and is blessed among women. And the title of my sermon this morning is uh, titled, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Mother of God. One thing that helps with learning to see Mary through the eyes of love instead of, of, of suspicion is not just found in her story, but in what we actually just sang a few seconds ago from, uh, from the hymnal. And it's her song of praise to God upon meeting with Elizabeth, the mother of St. John the Baptist. And this has been called throughout Christian history the Magnificat, which is the, the, the Latin phrase is actually Magnificat animea mea dominum. And that's a Latin translation of the first line. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So I think the first thing we can learn from the Magnificat that, that Shelley just read for us a few minutes ago and that we can learn from the Blessed Virgin is that God is the initiator and we respond to God in faithful obedience. A few verses earlier in the chapter, we have the actual story of the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel appears to her. First, he appears to, to Zechariah while he's in the temple offering uh, sacrifices to the Lord about, about his son John. And then a few months later, he appears to the Virgin Mary. And he, he comes and he announces, You have been chosen by God to bear God the Word, God the Son. And he doesn't say to her, And God is doing this for you. Because you're really, really nice. God didn't choose you because you're really cool. God didn't choose, this, didn't choose you for this because there's just something about you that makes you better than everybody else. God's choice of the Virgin Mary is an act of grace. Just like God called Abraham. Right? There's nothing in the Genesis text that says God chose Abraham to leave Ur because he was holier than everybody else, or that he was even living his life in a way pleasing to God that was better than everybody else. No, God speaks to Abraham and he says, get out of your home and then go to a place that I haven't told you about yet, but on the way I will maybe, and you're going to have a son. And I think the same thing is true here. And Mary references Abraham in the Magnificat, so I think we can make these connections accurately. But there's nothing special about Abraham to make him worthy of the choice. God chooses and initiates. And what does Abraham do? He responds. And in response to Abraham's faith and faithfulness, God uses him to bring about the salvation of the world, which we see right here in the Annunciation to Mary. Just as Abraham responds in faith to God's call, so too does the Virgin Mary respond to God's call. God is the initiator, and she responds. Mary says to the angel and to God, 
Yes, be it to me according to your word. And this is a supreme act of humility, brothers and sisters. And this is echoed too by Jesus in the garden. He himself will have this moment. And in the garden, when he prays, he says, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it. But then what does he add on? He doesn't leave it there. He's, and then try to get out of what's to come. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And Mary responds in faith, her words also echoing the words of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, who was childish, childless, not childish, childless for many years. And she prayed to the Lord to grant her a child, and the Lord granted her request, and she dedicated him to the Lord, the prophet Samuel. And Hannah says, my heart exalts in the Lord, my strength is exalted in my God. This is in 1 Samuel. And in Mary's Magnificat, we see Mary saying, my, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And Hannah says, those who are full have hired themselves for bread, but those who are hungry are fat with spoil. And Mary says, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. So I think it's clear that Mary, who would have known the story of the prophet Samuel, would have placed her own child and her own experience in that light. And she would have seen and understood her pregnancy as the culmination of the work of God among his people, as the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. As she says in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And she also says in the Magnificat, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and mighty is his name. Right? So the great things that are being done, it's not just for the people of Israel as a whole, but she notes that what God has done, he has done great things for who? For her. Because she says, God has done great things for me. That shows understanding of the import of what she was asked to do and the effect it would have on others. But God is the initiator and she responds. And this also is a little bit of divine reversal. She also notes the divine reversal or upheaval of the powerful in favor of the poor and lowly. And this can be understood in a few different ways. And I think firstly this speaks of Mary herself as she was a poor young woman. She doesn't have like a side hustle that she could do, right? While she's working her full-time job, let me do the side hustle and I can keep saving up money. No, she doesn't have anything. She's a poor woman in a backwater province on the other side of the Roman Empire. She's literally the opposite of the proud and the mighty. She has no position, right? If you were going to take out like a measuring stick that had like all the positions in society marked out by status, she wouldn't be up here at the top with everybody else. She'd be at the very bottom. She is the lowliest of the low in society's eyes. But God chooses her to give birth to God the Word. But God has done great things for her. He has exalted her above the proud. He has exalted her above the powerful. He has taken what is lowly and he has raised to what is lowly, raised her up. 
And St. Paul even makes this point in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. And he says something remarkable, that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. You're like, what? What does that even mean? And that's most fully on display in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? But that also, I think, is something that we can see here in the life of the Virgin Mary herself as well. Because in the eyes of the world, what looks like a nobody, God is exalting above the rich and the powerful. Even if her everyday life, where she is now, even if that doesn't have immediate economic or material benefit, that doesn't change the fact that God has taken her and elevated her among the powerful. Because she said yes to God. Because she said yes and accepted the divine plan because she was humble enough when God said, this is what I'd like to do. She said, be it to me according to your word. God didn't choose the house of Caesar or one of the houses of the Herods or the high priestly families like he did with John. Because remember, John the Baptist, his father was a priest. God doesn't choose the powerful he chooses her above the highborn of the world. And he fills, she says, the hungry with good things. He fills the hungry with good things. What have we been talking about these past few weeks before today when we're pausing our sermon series on the bread of life to focus on the Blessed Virgin, right? We've been talking about Jesus being the bread of life, right? He has filled the hungry with good things. She has been filled with the bread of heaven. God the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but this divine reversal also speaks of the beginning of the end for the evil spiritual forces that oppress humanity. The, the mighty on the thrones, it's not just a throwaway line about kings or about queens. The mighty on the thrones that she talks about here is what St. Paul refers to in Ephesians 6.12 where he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he says in Colossians 2.15 that he, Jesus, has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so that victory that St. Paul talks about, that Jesus has accomplished, begins right here in the womb of the virgin because she says, she says, that the mighty on the throne will be cast down. The mighty ones on the throne. Not just a reference to rulers and kings. It's a reference to the spiritual evil that holds humanity under the sway of death and sin. Through, through her, the Son of God will be born to destroy, as John says in 1 John, for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. St. Theophylact in his commentary on this, he says, And the Lord had scattered the proud demons, casting them out of the souls of men. He has pulled down the mighty from their thrones, meaning the demons who are tyrannizing mankind and using human souls as the seats upon which they rested. And lastly, we'll talk about the spread of salvation. 
And lastly, through her, we see the promise of the salvation offered through Jesus Christ. And she is the first person to take part in that salvation. The way that she in faith receives God the Word into her womb and in her heart is a model for us how we receive Him into our hearts by faith and by faithfulness. And this salvation that she models receiving is, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the fulfillment of the promises spoken to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And this promise is not just for Israel of the flesh. As St. Paul reminds us in Romans 9, verses 6 through 8, he says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So what this means is that this coming salvation offered by God through Abraham is fully realized in the inclusion of those who are not of Israel, the Gentiles. Right? So St. Paul says something remarkable here. Right? He, he basically is saying that the true Israel of God are those who receive the promise of salvation as given to us in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those who receive Him, those who accept Him, they are, both Jew and Gentile, they are the Israel of God. Right, And the Israel of God is not a nation state. Right, That's hours and hours and hours and hours away. That became a nation again in what, 1948 after World War II. And there's certain sectors of American Christianity that gets worked up every time something happens in Israel. They're like, the end times are here. No. The Israel, the true Israel of God, is made up of Jews and Gentiles alike who have received the promise of salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that salvation is offered to all. So all who respond to that call, they are the children of Abraham. And Mary, as she says yes to God and sings this song of praise in response to his goodness, not only for her, but for all the world, should drive us to respond in kind to God. And we should resound in faith to God for what he has done for us. We should. Like we should say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That means not just for her, right? But that's for you. Those of you who have received Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been baptized into Christ. Those of you who have put on Christ. God has done great things for you. And that should lead us to thank Him and to praise Him for what He's done. And we receive Christ in ourselves through faith and through participation in the sacramental life of the church. We bring the message of the defeat that Christ brought against the mighty and that desire for all to gaze upon Him lifted up and crucified and resurrected. We bring that message and those who receive it can then join in and become a part of that family begun all those years ago through the Blessed Virgin. And we can do it because she did it first. 
she bore God. And this is why the Blessed Virgin is called the Mother of God. Because she bore our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Word, in her womb. Through whom he has brought victory over the evil spiritual forces that enslaved us. He has liberated us from sin and death. And he's reunited us with God the Father. And so let us, like her, say yes to God. And let us, like her, humbly receive from him and be transformed by his living and his dwelling in us. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we all glory together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.